Today, Dwayne Zook will be bringing the message, and based on the last song, I have a feeling he's preaching on the light of the world, so let me pray for him. Father, just thank you for, for Dwayne and his, his willingness to teach and preach your word, and I just pray that you give him the words and the confidence to speak boldly, and that his words will glorify you. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you, Forrest. Now, I do want you to know that I'm fully aware that there is a sporting event this afternoon that a few people here might be interested in. I don't know how many, but there might be a few. And I promise to stop talking before kickoff, okay? (laughs) We'll be home before then. Now, we are going through the book of John, and this morning I want us to turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 8, and I want to talk about Jesus being the light of the world. Uh, Jesus declares this quite strongly here and causes quite a bit of... uh, I'm not sure how to describe that. I guess what I would should say is as we go further through the book of John, as we go further through these chapters, you see more and more antagonism uh, between Jesus and the leaders of the church at the time, between we commonly call them the Pharisees. And you see more and more of that antagonism building. And uh, today is, you know, it gets pretty rough here in spots. Now, with three of us... Uh, Kyle and Forrest and I kind of taking turns here. Uh, the other night, I said, told the guys, well, I'm going to be in chapter 8. And Kyle says, wait a minute. He says, I'm not done with chapter 6 yet. <laughs> so don't be surprised if we kind of leapfrog back and forth here. And that's okay. You know, um, there's still there's so much material that we're going over when we pick out what, what it is we want to talk about. And the reason I wanted to come to chapter 8 today was because I just wanted to pick up uh, the narrative when, from where Forrest led off last week. Uh, Forrest was in chapter 7 talking about Jesus being the living water. And that narrative flows directly into what I want to talk about today. Uh, because, uh, you know, you, you'll notice here that I'm, I want to start in verse 12, but I'm skipping the incident of um, Jesus, well, the, the people wanted to stone, the Pharisees wanted to stone the woman caught, caught in adultery. And Jesus deals with that in a way that not only brings forgiveness to the woman, but stops the Pharisees from carrying out what they thought would be the proper thing, the proper way to follow the law. And it's a wonderful story. Uh, so don't be surprised. We'll probably come. One of us will probably come back to that at some point. But what I'm saying is, I'm kind of leapfrogging ahead of chapter eight. Don't be surprised if we, if all three of us for that matter, back up before we go any farther. Now, as we're coming, as we're moving through these chapters, like I said, um, it is getting more and more antagonistic between Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, Here, this festival of booths, festival of tabernacles, that we're at in chapter 8, chapter 7 and 8, it marks the beginning of the last six months of Jesus' ministry. Because the festival of booths, 
and the festival of the Passover are six months apart. Well, this time, as we move on into John and as we come to Passover, that is Jesus coming to the cross. That is Jesus coming to the crucifixion. So, basically, you can say here that the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, Festival of Booths, however you want to designate it, there's a, when that ends, there's six months until we come to uh, the Festival of Passover. And that will be the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. So we need to kind of keep that in mind as we go into this. Now, um, Forrest let off, left off last week right at the end of chapter 7 where Jesus declared himself to be the living water. And so uh, when you come to um, the end of that narrative, or the end of that chapter and verse uh, 52, then if you go to chapter 8, verse 12, that is where it picks up. So that's why I'm skipping over this incident of the, of the woman. And uh, I want to start directly at verse 12. Uh, and I'm going to be looking today at verses 12 through 21. So if we start at verse 12, it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, this is the second of the I am, I am statements. Uh, the first one was in chapter 6, where he, where he proclaimed himself to be the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, uh, there's something we need to explore a little bit in this part about where the I am. Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, uh, when Moses saw the burning bush and God spoke to him, God came, God presented himself to Moses in the burning bush. And he said... You're going to be the leader of my people. You're going to go back to my people. You're going to lead them out of bondage. You're going to lead them to the promised land. And Moses, of course, was scared to death as God was telling him all this. And finally, when Moses is convinced, okay, I'm going to do this, like it or not, then he, then he asks God. But when I go back to the people, who should I say, what is your name? And God says, I am that I am. Now, we want to explore that just a little bit. Because Jesus is using the same language. 
when he, these seven I am statements, as you go through the book of John, every time he comes to one of these statements, it is the same language. Now, you know, well, well what's the big deal with that? Well, in, um, in roughly 270 AD, uh, BC, I'm sorry, 270 BC, before Christ, the Greeks assembled all the Hebrew and Aramaic transcripts, gathered up all they could find, and made a translation into the Greek of Holy Scripture. Now today, just at least all the English and almost every Bible translation that is written and put into modern language comes, it has that foundation of that Greek Septuagint, it's called. Septuagint simply means 70. And it was named that in tribute to the 70 scholars that worked on putting this translation together. Just Almost every one of our modern translations that we use, the basis, the foundation, is the Septuagint, the Greek translation of Holy Scripture. Well, okay, but when you move from one language to another, a lot of times it's easy to slip a word, misunderstand a word, uh, a word that means something in one language. When you say it in another language, you just kind of scratch your head. It has no meaning. What do you mean by that? And... Um, as one example that comes to my mind, uh, if, you're, if you're trying to explain the English language to someone that has never known English before, is in the process of learning it, just think about if you make a statement to them, okay, now watch the football game. Patrick Mahomes threw a pass to Travis Kelsey. He caught it and ran through the end zone. Through and through. And the guy would scratch his head and say, what are you talking about? How can one word mean two different things? Well, that's exactly what you deal with as you translate from one language to another. But what we need to note here in, uh, in, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, when the Hebrew was translated to Greek, when God stated his name as I am, it was translated into the Greek into the two words ego ami, ego ami, I am. E-G-O space E-I-M-I. I am. So when we come to the New Testament, when we come to New Testament times, come to modern times, and Jesus makes these statements about I am, he uses that exact language. He uses those exact words. Ego, Amy, I am. Now, that upsets the Pharisees. They don't like this. But... Uh, we need to go back now to turn with me, stick your bulletin there in John 8, and go back with me to Isaiah 42. And uh, Isaiah 42, and I want to read verses 5 and 6. It says, Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Who's God talking to? He's talking to Jesus the Son. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you the Son as a covenant to the nations 
I will make you a light. Uh, I will make you a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they bring forth, I tell you of them. This is one of the most commonly referred to, the most commonly known messianic prophecies. And these guys knew it. These Pharisees, they knew it. Now flip over to Matthew 49. And I, want to, I said 5 and 6 and 42. I actually read 5 through 9. Now I want to read 5 and 6 in Isaiah 49. It says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. This is third person Isaiah describing Jesus, saying, he who formed me, Jesus was born of a mortal. He came to earth as a man, as a, as a baby, and grew to be a man. Verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's not enough. It's too light. It's not a big enough job for you to bring salvation to my nation Israel. I'm going to add something. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's not enough for you just to bring salvation to my people. I am going to have you bring salvation to the world, to the nations, to the Gentiles, to us, to everybody. That's what he's saying here. That is, these are a couple of the most uh, prominent, most well-known uh, messianic prophecies. And um, the Pharisees knew them. They knew them by heart. Psalms 27.1 says, uh, I, uh, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When you get to the Gospel of John, let's flip over there right quick to John 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. When John began writing his Gospel, he wasted no time. He just jumped right in and said, This is who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John just jumps right in and says, This is God. This man Jesus I'm writing about, he is God. He is the light of the world. So when, um, when Jesus proclaims this here in verse 12 to the Pharisees, they know exactly what he's saying. They don't like it, but they know exactly what he's saying. They know these uh, these prophecies from Isaiah and all through the Bible. Those two are just two of the most well-known ones. There's a whole list of Messianic prophecies as you go through the Bible, as you go through the Old Testament. So uh, Jesus stands here and proclaims himself to them as God, the light of the world. Now, we need to spend a little time understanding um, you know, the timing and the setting where this was going on. And if you look at verse 20, it says, These words he spoke in the treasury. Okay, well, we understand the treasury is part of the, part of the temple, but what does this mean? What, what, what's going on here? 
Well, the treasury is also known as the court of women, the court of the women. As you first come into the temple, uh, we need to back up a little bit from that. When uh, This is actually the second temple. The temple that in Jesus' day and age was second temple. First temple, of course, was Solomon's temple. It was destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, uh, knocked down Jerusalem, carried the, the children of Israel, carried the people off to Babylon. And then in the, when the 70 years was up, Ezra came back with a group, and the first thing they did was start rebuilding the temple. And they worked on it for quite some time until Nehemiah came and rebuilt the wall and actually provided security for the city of Jerusalem once again. Well, it, there's a there's a famous little line in the book of Nehemiah, and these guys had to be pretty old. But the old men that were old enough to remember what the first temple looked like, to remember what Solomon's temple was like, when they saw the second temple, they wept. It just did not live up to the glory of Solomon's temple. Well, that's very true. It was, it was much smaller, much plainer uh, in comparison with Solomon's temple. But now remember, 400 years have gone by, 400 plus years have gone by since the time it was built until the time Jesus stood there. And also, we need to keep in mind that after Jesus is gone, when we get to about 70 or 73 uh, A.D., this temple is going to be destroyed also. But for right now, this is the temple in Jerusalem. And in that time span from when it was first built, there was lots of additions, uh, lots of enlargement. Much improvement had gone on, so it was a beautiful sight to behold. It still did not compare to Solomon's temple, but still it was, it was something special. So as Jesus stood in the treasury, also known, known as the court of the women, uh, as you came into the temple area, the temple grounds, the first, play, the first court you came into was the court of the Gentiles. Anybody could come in there. Gentile, anybody of any nation, any age, any race, any gender, anyone could come into the court of the Gentiles. As you came into the court of the women, you had to be Jewish. You could be a Jewish man or a woman, or you could be a properly processed convert, proselyte. You could be converting to Judaism, and if you were far enough in that process, then you were allowed into the court of the women. But the court of the women was also where the treasury was. Now, this court was a big area. It held thousands of people. Uh, one commentary says as many as 10,000 people could be in this court of the women in, in the treasury area at the same time. So there, were, there was crowds there. You know, when the festival was going on, this place was packed. Well, all around the, the wall, all around the edges of this court is where the offering boxes were. And... Um, most descriptions give you a, a, a picture of a basket or a box with a fluted opening, something looking like a trumpet sticking up out of the top of it. And you walked up and dropped your offering, dropped your money into that, and it fell into this box. And if you remember, there's another Bible story that we all learned when we were kids about Jesus watching the widow drop her last two coins into the offering box and stating that she's given more than all the wealth, all, all the wealthy people combined. So this is the area that Jesus was in when he made this statement. Now, as you came in, as you came in there, uh, each of the offering boxes, each of these receptacles had a different, a different purpose, a different meaning. Uh, the first two were where you paid the temple tax. The next two was for women to drop in, uh, I think it's two shekels, and that would purchase them two pigeons. 
And they did this as, as a sacrifice to purify themselves from childbearing. Uh, the next two boxes, one was to buy wood, one was to buy incense for the altar. So you see, as you went through there and you dropped your money in each of these boxes, it was for a different purpose. Uh, box, uh, I don't know, the next couple of boxes, there's a couple of boxes were designated for upkeep and uh, maintenance on and purchasing new golden utensils for use in the temple. So you see, each of these had a different use, had a different purpose. Finally, when you get to the last four or five sets of boxes, it was just for the general fund. Um, the money in there was the largest amount gathered, and it was just for whatever uh, the priest of the temple needed it for. But Jesus was standing in the treasury when he made this statement. And uh, there's also another reason he was standing in the tre- in, there. Remember, this was the... The, the festival of booze, the the the, the feast of the, uh, festival of tabernacles, when they were celebrating God taking them through the wilderness on their forty year trek of wandering in the wilderness, God saw them through that forty years, and that's what they're celebrating with this festival. This festival goes on all night, uh, twenty four hours a day for seven days. So how do they see what they're doing overnight? Well, what happened in the wilderness? God led them with a light, a pillar of fire at night in the daytime. It was a pillar of fire surrounded by a cloud, so it was like a lighted cloud that led them in the daytime. At night, this pillar of fire provided light for the camp. So they were celebrating the fact that God brought them through the 40 years and provided light the whole time. Well, in this court of women, in this treasury this big open courtyard, during this festival, they would set big candelabras. And I'm not sure how many, but it was quite a few. And they had they put the biggest candles they had on these candelabras. And every evening at dusk, they lit them. And these big candles burned all night long. And there was many of them. Now, you got to remember, you know, they didn't have spotlights and laser lights and LEDs. They had candles and they had oil lamps. So here was these big candles, many, many of them, burning all night long, and it had the effect of making the temple glow like a diamond in Jerusalem. If you were off at the edge or somewhere in another part of the city, you could look off over here, and here was this glowing bright light that shone all night long. And it was their way of paying tribute to how God provided light for them as they went through their 40 years in the wilderness. So here's Jesus standing in the treasury at the time of this bright light being shown, and he tells the Pharisees, smack dab to their face, I am God and I am the light of the world. So that's the setting. That's, that's, that's where we are. And you can kind of begin to see why the antagonism, uh, the animosity towards Jesus is beginning to build more and more among the Pharisees. So let's go on here from verse uh, 13. It says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And uh, we need to move through a few verses here. Jesus said, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from. Jesus knows. You know, I, I am the Son. I come from the Father. What I'm telling you is the truth, even though you don't know it and don't want to admit it. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Jesus judges no one by the flesh. He judges by the Spirit. 
See, and, that, and the story we just skipped over about the woman caught in adultery, that's a wonderful example of that. What did the Pharisees want to do? They wanted to judge in the flesh. They wanted to stone her. They wanted to put her to death. Jesus said, I don't judge in the flesh. I judge by the Spirit. He asked this woman, who condemned you? She said, no one. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's judgment of the Spirit. This, you know, Jesus sent her out to repent and sin no more. So Jesus says, I do not judge. He does not judge in the flesh. Now someday he will judge and it will be a spiritual judgment. All will stand before him and will either spend eternity in life or death. But that judgment is not yet. It, it is to come. And it's what we do now, how we, how we react to Jesus now, that determines what that judgment will be. So that's, that's what Jesus is referring to here when he says, I don't judge, but even if I do judge, uh, it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So basically what he's saying here, you better mark it down. What I'm telling you is for real. That's what he's telling them here. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So basically he's saying... Here I am. I am God. I and the Father are one. We are here. And it it is the Father who sent me who bears witness about me. Well, this is just more than they can take. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Now, you kind of need to imagine they're saying this in kind of a sneering, um, uh, insulting type of way. Because to them, you know, we've heard it in other places here. This guy's from Galilee. Nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth. This guy cannot be the Messiah because the Messiah is not coming from Galilee. Well, you see, they didn't even take go to the trouble to learn that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. A couple of days ago, Darla said, how about if we sing Old Little Town of Bethlehem? I said, that'd be great. Because it, it illustrates these guys, not only did they not know him spiritually, they did not know him temporally. They did not understand the, 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 you know, when they were going through the Messianic prophecies, which they knew, they had them memorized, they had all the proof they needed, they just didn't want to believe it. They were unwilling to believe it. And that's where the condemnation comes in. They were unwilling to believe it. They knew that the, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but they didn't take the time to figure out that this guy, Jesus, standing in front of him, they thought he was from Galilee. They didn't understand, didn't know that he was born in Bethlehem. He fulfilled that prophecy. So when they said, where is your father? They're kind of almost implying illegitimacy. You know, you're not the Messiah. You can't be. You're from Galilee. And that's, that's their attitude. That's what they're stating here. Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. How many times have we seen this? We saw it in Luke when he taught in the temple and they picked up stones to stone him and he just walked through them. In John, this happens several times. He he is hid from them. They cannot put him to death simply because his time had not yet come. Six months from now, his time is going to come. 
he's going to go to the cross. But how many times when this animosity is building against him, this antagonism from the Pharisees, from the, from the non-believers, how many times have, do they make an attempt to put him to death and they simply cannot because his time has not yet come? Now we come to verse 21 here, and verse 21 is, is kind of a repetition of what he said in chapter 7. Verses 33 and 34 in chapter 7, he said the same thing to them. I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. They don't have a clue what he's saying. But what he's saying here is the same thing that uh, says, you know, if you don't know the Father, if you don't know the Father, you cannot know me. I'm going away. I'm going to a place where you will no longer be able to find me. Uh, John MacArthur gives a very good uh, definition of hell that I really, that really struck me when I heard him saying it. He said, "Hell is coming to a place where you finally realize you must have Jesus, and you cannot find Him. When you're separated from God, when you're separated from Jesus." You're in a place where then it's, you know, I must have Jesus, and it's impossible for you to access him. It's impossible for you to come to him. That is hell. You're separated forever. And that's what Jesus is telling these guys here. You believe me now while you have a chance, because when I go away, you cannot come where I'm going. That's what he's telling him. And I think that's what we need to take out of this today. Uh, These guys were addressing Jesus in a temporal way, in a physical way. They could not, they would not, they were unwilling to believe him spiritually, in in the spiritual uh, message, the spiritual um, salvation that he represented. We need to be careful about that. It's easy for us to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I want Jesus to do this for me, and I want Jesus to do that for me. No, that's not what Jesus is. That is thinking about Jesus in a temporal fashion, in a physical fashion. We need to know, we need to understand, we need to believe in Jesus spiritually. That is where salvation is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that we are able to in our feeble ways, try to puzzle out things from it. And we just pray that you would more and more give us clarity. Uh, Let us understand fully what you're teaching us in your word. And we just pray as we continue through these uh, studies in the book of John that you would just uh, more and more let us see how plain it is and how how, uh, overwhelmingly gracious and abundant and free it is for us to know you. We thank you for that, and we just pray your guidance now as we go from this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.